Welcome to Andy Staples on three, day three of SEC Media Days. The Razorbacks, the Gators, the Kentucky Wildcats, and oh yeah. The, them bad boys of the tide. The Alabama Crimson Tide. Jesse Simonton on three, national writer here with me. It was uh, Alabama early, Alabama often, because it, it Georgia may be two national titles deep right now, but when Nick Saban walks in the room, he still commands the crowd, it seems like. He certainly does. And, hey, you know, we've been here for several days. We've had a good time. We've covered a, you know, wide breadth of topics. But, man, it was fun and good that we finally had a little bit of juice. Yes. And, and it's usually not Alabama we get that from. No. Usually Alabama's coming in, don't give us any rat poison, stop calling us good, all that. They, they weren't like that today. No, they weren't. We, and we got a new, you know, if you want a little brain teaser, a little pretzel twister, we got negative rat poison that is somehow a positive for Alabama. Okay, now I'm, I'm totally confused. How, so, how are we so, doing this? So Nick Saban, you know, back in two years ago, did yep. the uh, tasty rat poison. That was tasty rat. Tasty rat poison. I was involved in that. I was. In, yeah. They made a hype video. Okay. Where I said that they could not beat Georgia in that SEC championship game, and he thanked everyone for the tasty rat poison. So now he has dubbed it. This year, they seem to be guzzling what they have deemed negative rat poison, which mm. is everyone is oh. somehow shortchanging that Alabama has the second or third best odds so to win the like national when you championship. Multiply two negative numbers together, exactly. you get a positive. I got exactly. You. Okay. So, and this is all because somehow you know folks are shortchanging the Tide's title chances of not being the favorite. Well, they're not the favorite. Right. Let's be perfectly real. No, we they're spent, not. We spent 20 minutes yesterday talking about Georgia and the possibility of three-peat, and it is very possible that Georgia will three-peat. We don't even know that Alabama will get out of the West, but I will say this. Nick Saban with a problem to solve is the most dangerous version of Nick Saban. And, and uh, well, history is a strong indicator of that. Yes. And the other thing that history certainly supports is that before Kirby Smart – was the manufacturing, you know, motivation and was coming up with these grievances that mm -hmm. no one ever was really talking about. Right. Nick Saban was doing that. Right. And his teams were, you know, the teams that were claiming doubt and disrespect and then coming out and pulverizing opponents. Well, J.C. Latham, their star offensive tackle, comes out today and is talking about all sorts of, you know, fuel to the fire, slap to the face. The idea that the dynasty is dead is complete, you know, disrespect. And then he punctuated all of that by declaring that Alabama would win the national championship. There you go. <laughs> you got a promise, a yeah. pledge. Well... I don't. I don't mind this. I don't mind. I, dude, again, this I, is. We needed some juice yeah, here. I, I, I wanted somebody to come in with some bravado. Georgia, you're probably not going to get that. I thought maybe we get that from LSU, but yeah, this is this is now. No, and team it, that, worse. We got Brian Kelly backtracking a little bit, which now makes me go right more towards your tide. Yeah. Well, I even more so now with Nick Saban saying carrot cake is his favorite cake. Like, <laughs> hey, listen, if if the goat. The man is close to your heart. It's, it, he, you got to get behind him. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll be ranking our, our five favorite cakes toward the end of the show. But this is an interesting situation because we have not seen Alabama in this role since 2009 when Florida was coming off a national title and they had yeah. Tim Tebow and Brandon Spikes and – not Percy Harvin back, which should have been a red flag. Right. That and people should have noticed. Yes. <laughs> and, 
Now, it was, you know, f- for history's purpose, if we're talking about that too, depending on how this vote shakes out tomorrow or Friday, yeah. whenever it comes out, if Alabama is not picked to win the SEC West for the second straight year, or if they don't make it, excuse me, for the yeah. second straight year, be the first time since 2010-2011, which that's just that's wild. I mean, that that's right, right there, another indicator of their dominance. Yeah, it, it is It is pretty crazy. And, and the, what you mentioned 2010 and 2011. I know somebody's saying, wait, they won the national title in 2011. But remember, LSU won the West. So you're, you're right. It is almost inconceivable. And here's the other part of Alabama. Let's talk about Alabama last year again. They lost two games by four points total. It is not like... They went five and seven last year. No, and and you know, uh, someone uh, uh, someone that's you know the Bayou Bengal faithful would say, hey, well they lost or they won several close games too. The Texas, Texas A&M, A&M game, they have won, probably, yeah. the you know Texas game was yeah. a close game. I think something else that Nick Saban said today also should perk up our ears a little bit. They made the coordinator change. Mm-hmm. He seems to be very comfortable and confident in the fingerprints that I think Tommy Reese is putting on Alabama's offense. And so even though we don't know who is going to be behind center, I think what they look like offensively is going to be different. He thought, even though they had this Superman at quarterback, Nick's words today were, we were too pass happy. They, we they were and have been too much on Bryce Young's, yeah. you know, heroics. And I'd say that probably goes back to 2020 before Bryce Young was even the starter when you had Mac Jones throwing to a just absolute... The factory of wide receivers. Crazy wide receiver yeah. group where you get comfortable with that. You get comfortable with, with, with moving the ball that way. And I realize different coordinator, Bill O'Brien, came in after that. and then But Bryce Young is also that kind of security blanket where we'll just let Bryce handle it. Well, again, Georgia and Alabama are going to be linked forever in the modern yeah. because of Kirby and, and Nick's relationship. But I think it's very easy to also draw a line between these two programs right now and say, Nick woke up and realized, hey, what they're doing in Athens, where you can be a dynamic offense Mm -hmm. while mauling people, let's get back to that. Yeah, and look, we know that makes a certain type of Alabama fan very, very happy. There's a a run-the-damn-ball crowd that even as much as they enjoyed the 2020 national title run, it doesn't feel right to them that Alabama wasn't necessarily capable of lining up and just running it down somebody's throat. And and now, I mean, you look at the guys they have in the backfield. I mean, Roy Dale, uh, Jace, but then the guy that I think we believe in on three, Haynes. maybe the be- I may it, the dude's Justice gonna be Haynes, a baby. Justice Haynes, yep. I think by the end of the year could be the best tailback in the SEC. And we're talking about a freshman. I mean, that's something that he has Todd Gurley-esque, you know, freshman-type potential. and it's funny you bring up a Georgia Bulldog. His dad was a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, Tennessee fans, cover your ears. Hobnail boot. Ron Haynes, the the (laughs) fullback who caught the winning touchdown pass against Tennessee in Neyland Stadium in 2001. And Larry Munson said, we stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We crushed them. (laughs) And he didn't even know what a hobnail boot was. No, I think he just made it up. <laughs> yeah, but it but it's an all-time yeah. iconic moment but, in Georgia lore. Yeah, Justice Haynes. Now, Veron was actually more of a, a. Now he played in the NFL, but he's more a role player on those Georgia teams. Right. Yeah. Justice Haynes is, has the potential no, to be a star. About, we're talking about a five-star yeah. yeah. that you know emerged right away yeah. in spring practice. Uh, Nick Saban, who 
you know, at times, not even at times, throughout his career has been hesitant to really, you know, laud praise yeah. on players in general, but sp- specifically freshmen. He's come out and has done, you know, the opposite of that with Justice Haynes. I mean, he has leaned in heavily that, like, this guy is going to be a day one contributor for us. Yeah, and that – it's not entirely unusual. He's done that with other freshmen. It, but you can tell when he does that with a freshman, it's somebody that he really likes and, and feels is very mature. Minka Fitzpatrick comes to mind. Well, the other one this year is going to be Caleb – yeah. Uh, Odom. Yeah. I mean, uh, Downs. Excuse me, Caleb Downs. Yeah, Caleb and five-star safety who's, who's another guy who's going to make an instant Jaylen impact Hurts right away. Jalen was another one like that. So, And the, you know what these you know what the, the link between all these guys are? Mature kids right. who can handle the hype and are going to come in and put in the work. Yeah. They're, they're not going to get blown up by NIL or Ego or whatever. They're going to come in and play. And this is, this is the point. No, Alabama might not be the favorite. It, Georgia could buck 90 years of history in three-peat. But anyone shortchanging the, the tide, they are so loaded. They still have, you know, the number one, probably 1-85 to 85 roster in America. Right, and, and, I mean, you lose Will Anderson. You have Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell to rush the passer. It, it, and, and it's still – because Will Anderson actually kind of changed what they were defensively a little bit. Nick Saban was not – usually a, a big sack guy like he didn't necessarily care if they had huge sack numbers he'd take sacks if he'd get them but he more wanted to affect the quarterback uh confuse the quarterback make his eyes lie to him they've still got two guys who can get after the quarterback but then they also have that dude up the middle in Jaheim Otis great moving yeah, and, and he's not the only one. I mean, that defensive line, uh, I think, I, again, I think they're probably going to be better in the secondary. They add the, you know, all-conference guy from uh, UAB. Kool-Aid McKinstry was here. He's probably the number one corner in the country. Another guy that seems like he's been in Alabama forever. Jen, if you talk to folks in Tuscaloosa, Malachi Moore, yeah. I mean, what he, what he, you know, his capability to be versatile at corner and nickel so the pieces are there. I mean, I think, you know, this, neg- again, bringing it back, negative rat poison, whatever that is, I think if enough folks are continuing to kind of, quote-unquote, doubt the tide before this week two game against Texas, that could be a statement performance. We're talking about a game in Tuscaloosa. They don't lose that often in Tuscaloosa yeah. as is. But if they're suddenly, it's like, oh, we're, we're, we're seen as like the – the, the potential yeah. underdog? Nah. They'll get Texas's best shot because Texas, known the last 10 years or so for not showing up for games <laughs> that they should win, they almost always show up for games that they're not supposed to win. You know, you, I, I remember going to an Oklahoma game one year where Oklahoma was supposed to beat them by 1,000, and Texas just destroyed them. The, the game against Alabama last year. Yeah. That's the best, maybe the best game Texas played. So I think – they're going to get Texas's best shot. This is the most NFL talent we've seen on a Texas roster in a while. It's going to be a great first test. Good on good. But it may not look like the Texas game from last year because Alabama may be trying to make a point. They may be trying to make a point, although, you know, what's funny is that that, that was a game where Alabama really couldn't run the ball. No. And so are they going to be able to do that this year? You know, that's, yeah. we think that that's going to be a strength. Obviously, Tommy Reese is going to kind of lean into that less RPO, more under center play action stuff. Well, let's, let's remember how it works when Nick Saban hires a new coordinator, and this is on offense or defense. 
it's it not, usually works. It's not like most teams. Most teams, they hire a coordinator. The coordinator comes in. They bring their system. You learn their system. That's not how it works at Alabama, whether the, they're hiring somebody who has been with them, like when they promoted Mike Loxley, or whether they hire Bill O'Brien, who had been a head coach in the NFL. They say, here's what we do. You learn that, and then call your flavor of it and build it around these players. Well, the other thing, and, and that's exactly right, the other thing that should get Alabama fans confidence and maybe everyone else a little bit of consternation or trepidation is that Nick Saban seems to have a superpower of hiring the right guy and replacing a guy with a better guy. Sure, he's had a couple of outliers. The Alabama fans who chased off Pete Golding do not necessarily agree with that. <laughs> I'm talking okay. about specifically offensive coordinator. Right. Let's, let's just quick history lesson. Applewhite to McElwain. Better. Upgrade. Got improved. Nuss was better McElwain than McElwain. McElwain to Nussmeyer, yes. Better. Nuss to Kiffin. Better. Kiffin to basically Sark and Locks kind of sharing the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Continue to get better. Dan Enos, who we'll Dan hear about Enos. when we talk to Sam Pittman later in the show. Dan He's Enos. the new Arkansas offense I think, I think the Dayball thing probably wasn't great. Oh, but no, the Dayball thing was amazing. They won a national title. Yeah, but Nick wasn't crazy about Dayball. He kind of, you know, usher, you know. I think I think Brian Dayball turned out to be a pretty good coach. He has turned, he has turned out to be <laughs> a very good coach. And then even as much as Alabama fans were all over Bill O'Brien, they had top ten offenses in SP+. And, you know, Across all sorts of metrics, well, the last you're forgetting years. Sark in the middle there again. Right, Sark that, came back. That actually probably was their their prettiest offense. That but, was the 2020. But my point is, yeah. is that the man is just is laying down yeah. aces. Well, all and, these and Tommy Rees coming from a place where their strength most recently was a great offensive line, fantastic tight end, limited weapons outside, good backfield, but not much going on outside. Alabama's going to have better talent outside. Are they going to have 2019, 2020 level talent? Probably not. But another newcomer to watch, five-star uh, JUCO transfer Malik Benson. There you go. Could be one of the fastest guys in the nation. Yep. But and they need somebody in that receiving core to be special. What they also need, they also need, and I do think this is. If I'm, you know, I, I had a story on on three earlier this uh, off season about this. Nick brought up the fact they brought in five transfers again. They mm-hmm. brought in five transfers last year. They only hit on two of the five. They hit on Gibbs, yeah. and they sort of hit on Tyler Steen, the offensive lineman right. from Vanderbilt. But the receiver from Louisville got hurt. Okay, and, he didn't and get a chance to do anything. Burton wasn't very good. Yep. Uh you bet, you know, two of five, if you're on the Alabama baseball team, you're doing pretty well. Right. Two That's of five not, in football. That's not how it's supposed to work. Not yeah. how it's supposed to work. Did you land five better transfers? They got the Dippery kid tied in Maryland, yep. from Maryland, uh, linebacker um, Tresman Marshall from Georgia, yep. and then a couple defensive backs. They need a better hit right there. If they hit on those guys, then I think, again, the pieces, the rest of the well, pieces the, are in the place. Obviously, Buckner is the, yeah, the, the one of those guys. Yeah, the quarterback is the question. Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow. We're going to find out. Nick Saban is not going to tip his hand on that. We're probably finding out week one. And, and he, he said, you know, he'll pick a guy if, if a guy emerges. But if a guy has not emerged, then potentially they go into week one trying to figure it out still. And we've seen him do that before. And it may not be the guy they picked to start week one, a, a la what happened with Jalen Hurts. He didn't start that Blake game. Blake Barnett started that game. I was at that game. Yeah. Yeah. Comes in, gets, and then, you know, he comes off the bench against USC and leads him to a monster win and yep. never gives up the job until Tua takes it a year later. It's, and, and that's the thing. I, I, I liken this more to 2015 where it's a five-man race. 
Jake Coker winds up winning it, but they, they still uh, they start Cooper Bateman against Ole Miss because they okay. still weren't quite sure. They lose that game, but Coker came back in in the middle of it, almost brought him back, and they realized, oh, this is the guy who our offensive players coalesce around. He'll, he, he's not a huge NFL prospect. He's not perfect, but he'll get it done, and that's, that's what happened. We'll see this time. Do they have somebody like that that, that can just manage things and get the job done? Does your guy Dylan Lonergan get a shot? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like they're going deep into the, the Dylan Lonergan and Eli Holstein, the two freshmen. It doesn't sound like they're. But I saw that one series in the spring game, and I, I'm going to speak this into existence. Now, it, I, it sounds like a three-man race, and we'll see what happens. But this is a team that has a loaded defense, a good offensive line, good backfield. We'll see with the receivers, and then the quarterback could be the piece that brings it all together. We'll find out, but I have a hard time doubting Nick Saban. Me too, but don't tell them that. No, no. Slap in the face, disrespect. No. Negative I, rat poison. Negative rat poison, which is positive for Alabama. I'm telling you, it's a brain teaser. We think. <laughs> a guy who has a lot of experience with Nick Saban, former Alabama assistant, former Alabama analyst, current Florida Gators head coach, Billy Napier, joins us next. We're here with Florida coach Billy Napier, and Billy, this is this has been going around here. This this photo, and I have to ask you this: what what does this person do for a living? You know, I've been Texas for a long time, and I've been saying, "Here, WWE, here we come." Okay, so I I thought Sarkeesian looked more WWE than you, but I will tell you, I so your college roommate, top receiver. Noted worldwide renowned recording artist Bear Reinhardt yeah. is here with you today. I asked him, he said he looks like a roofer. <laughs> I did just get a new roof put on my house. Yeah. You didn't look that doesn't look no. like anybody put the roof on my house. But Sam Pittman, the Arkansas coach, had the best answer. He said, Billy looks like Jesus. Oh yeah. Football Jesus. That's been one of those things. <laughs> there there you go. Well, I think I sent some t-shirts. Your your NIL will blow up with, oh, yeah, with, appreciate with that. Appreciate that. So uh, this is, it's a year of changes, but it's interesting because we had Eli Drinkwitz in this chair a couple days ago, and he was explaining why he's given up play calling and all this other stuff going on. His, you know, he's a Gus Malzahn guy, Gus, same thing. Yeah. And you, you got asked about it today because you, you, you're not doing that. And I, I was thinking about this. You're a guy who grew up with a high school coach for a dad, right. wanting to be a high school coach. You now run this massive organization with all these analysts and you have people who are to, who, who make graphics for you and right. so like, is this a way to stay in touch with the actual football for you yeah i mean i i think that it's as close as i can get to play in the game yeah you know um i've had i've answered this question a million times you know yeah. a lot of coaches that come to work for you they want to know right? oh yeah uh, for their future career but you know, I, I really believe that it's a way to keep your hand on the identity of your team. Yeah. I mean, conceptually, mm -hmm. um, the practice environment, the commitment to playing complementary football, understanding not only what you're installing, but what is the defense installing, and then watching each play and evaluating each play relative to that. And then, you know, once you get to the season and game week, what you do between Sunday to Saturday prepares you to call the game. Now, I, I went back and I was looking at Louisiana year one to year two. You had quite a jump between those first two years. What did you see from, from that team 
in between those two years? What, what, what's the hallmark of a team about to make a jump? Well, I, th I think there's a compound effect of year two, right? The analogy I use is like not only is the student learning the material for the second time, the, all the teachers are teaching the material for the second time. Right. They understand what's expected, and they're better at their job. I think there's a trickle down to the players. Uh, we're seeing it recruiting right now. Yeah. Right? We're year two. We're having more success, and I think that I'm hopeful – uh, that that will carry over to the football component as well. Well, I was going to say that message seems to be getting out. You, I know you can't talk about anybody specifically who's committed, but you look at, you know, the finalists of the guys who are committing to you, and it's a it's a pretty different class of school right. than than it was before. Uh, how do you sell that to them when the first season was not exactly what you wanted it to be? Well, I I think kids are smart. I think that um, ultimately, young people. Um, they go through their own recruiting process. They go visit uh, these other institutions. They see the place. They see the resources. Uh, they understand the degree, the alumni network, the experiences that we can create through GatorMade, um, equipping them, educating them. And then, you know, our football plan is proven. It works, right? So I think we've got a unique combination of things that we offer. Mm -hmm. We've completely rebuilt the player experience. Our administration has been phenomenal. Yeah, I, I got to talk to you about that. So I was with uh, with James Bates the other day. He was a captain yeah. on the, the 96 national championship team. And we were talking about the stools that used to be in the locker room. Uh, and they were about two feet off the ground. That was the seat. No doubt. And if you wanted to sleep in front of your locker, you could sleep on the floor. Mm -hmm. And what your players have right now, no I would doubt. have never left. Yeah. I would just live in there. Yeah. No, I, I mean – it's affecting our team dynamic. They spend more time in the building, therefore they spend more time together. Um, there's not only more efficiency, better resources, um, a modernization of approach with our infrastructure, but they're just flat out, they're spending more time together, and I think that's gonna benefit us. Yeah, and you've got some guys, a bunch of new guys through the portal. You talked about it in, in the big room here a lot of experience coming in. And, and Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, mm -hmm. the quarterback, very experienced. How important was that getting guys that are that have just played a lot of snaps? You know, I think we evaluate each one of these guys kind of independent mm -hmm. of themselves um, relative to our roster, what we need. Right. Do we need a young, talented player that has mm -hmm. a number of years of eligibility yep. or we need immediate impact? Right. And I think we've added uh, some really unique players. I mean, you dig into PFF and production, and, mm -hmm. you know, these guys' backgrounds. I, I'm excited. Like, I think Bird Sherrill did great work. He's a director of college personnel, and uh, our staff did a good job closing that out. Well, and then you got Mr. Moten from Michigan just mm -hmm. recently. I, I've heard good things uh, in, in town about uh, Caleb Banks from yeah. Louisville and Cam Jackson from, from Memphis. How, how much – how much different will the D-line look with, with some, some new blood? Yeah, I mean, immediately when they walk in the room, the height length is uh, uh, different. You know, we're talking 6'6", 350, 6'5", and 3 quarters, 320. Yeah. Uh, real athletes, I think NFL players. So not a lot of people are talking about them right now, and I'm okay with that. That's uh, Yeah, I, I was wondering about that because it's – It'll become pretty People, people are assuming too. Jervon Dexter got drafted. We don't necessarily know the younger guys – so nobody's talking about, but yes, that it, I would think if that unit yeah. gets better, that changes things quite a bit for you guys. Yeah, no question. I mean, any good defense is going to be strong up the middle. 
Um, and these guys bring presence right away to yeah. go along with some other really good pieces. Yeah. Now, in, in the pass game, I'm, I'm curious, how much can the run game help the pass game? Because obviously those backs, Montrell yeah. and, and Trevor, are one of the strengths of, of this roster. But, yeah. but how much can the play-action game kind of open things up? Well, I think the, the rush, when you can rush the ball, I think you force the defense's hand a little bit. The throw game can become simpler. Mm -hmm. uh, you create more individual matchups, more vertical seams. Uh, when they can play split safety and start doubling players, then you've yeah. got some problems, right? So ultimately, uh, we've got a great system that distributes the ball depending on how the defense aligns. And we need Graham to make great decisions. Um, we're going to feature these backs. We're yeah. going to feature Ricky Pearsall. And we're going to evaluate the, the other group of skilled players that we have, and we'll get the ball to the playmakers. So somebody was telling me that you have notes, notebooks in your office where you, you basically go by day and that sometimes you will grab one from a year ago or a couple years ago and go to that day yeah. and go through it. What, what does that do for you? Yeah, I mean, it just creates consistency and then you minimize error, right? I mean, I think half the battle here is just don't make the same mistake twice. Right? Yeah. So uh, it's one of the ways that we improve our process, quality control, everything that we do right then. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of research behind this. And then you go back to that. Yeah. Um, and then you prepare uh, when you kind of encounter that next time of the year. So um, over time, it adds up, and um, all parts of the organization, we, we challenge them to take the same approach. So, so, so did you did you open up the notebook from last year's media day yeah. to figure out okay figure out what what the speech was going to be in, in the, the last two years? You know, so um, yeah, no question. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get better, right? And I think uh, ultimately. You gotta learn from the past. Uh, you don't have to learn from it with us. That's that's the thing. We we just need you coming in off the cuff saying ridiculous things. We'll right. we'll make fun of you yeah. for it for a month, and then the games yeah. will happen, and we'll just form our own judgments off of that. No so doubt. it's it's no much doubt. easier that way. But it, really, what what have you learned in a year in charge at Florida? Well, I I think that um, it's very evident that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that needed to be done here. Yeah. And I think we all understood. It's like giving a year of your life away. You know, I mean, the first year, your time is so divided. Um, and I think that a couple of the new variables cause that to be a challenge, right? Yeah. You're immediately a class and a half behind in recruiting. Right. I think for me that was magnified a little bit because we weren't recruiting that pool of players. You know, right. We were at Louisiana. Uh, then you throw in NIL, you throw in the portal, not to mention all the things that needed to be done at the University of Florida. So uh, ultimately, your time is divided. Yeah. I left a place where I felt like I had an incredible connection with my team, with my staff. Yeah. And then you, you take that for granted a little bit. So it's pretty apparent, hey, look, we got to start over here. Well, and you, you uh, mentioned this before where you talk about you got to a new school at a time when everything was changing right. and there's no instruction manual for it so the nil thing i know this spring you were talking to, to groups and they're, they're setting up the florida victorious right. uh, collective and you were going to people and saying hey this is this is how you have to recruit now this is right. this has to be good here how hard are those conversations with with some folks who maybe aren't into giving to nil well i i think it's all about education and i think florida victorious has done a really good job of doing NIL in a very strategic manner. 
um, the service-oriented work with the financial literacy component. Um, I think we're going out of our way to do what college athletics should do, uh, shape the character of the player, and also prepare them for their future from a financial perspective. So um, we got great leadership in that organization. They've hired people uh, from within the athletic department, from the university side. Uh, I think there's good alignment there. And um, the state law has benefited us. Right. Uh, and I think going forward, Florida's position for that to be a really strong, sustainable, repeatable uh, kind of product that we can all be proud of. I, I know when you were dreaming of becoming a football coach, you thought you were going to have to talk about state laws and yeah, state legislatures. No. <laughs> it's reality. It, 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 how much of it, because you're a younger coach, and it, it seems like the, the dividing line is among the the age groups and the coaches where it seems like guys your age are like, well, whatever they tell us, we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I think it's about you want to do the best job you can do for your people, right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, um, you know, I grew up, my career kind of reflects the involvement of the revenue you yeah. know, and the explosion, right? So I've seen it when it was yeah. bare, you know, bare bones operation mm -hmm. um, to where we're at today. And I think it would be foolish to think that the players don't deserve some of yeah. this revenue that this game is creating. I still haven't met a college head coach who actually thought they'd make any money when they yeah. got into the field. Yeah, no, I mean, I can remember taking the job at Clemson, telling my dad, like, Dad, you know, this is about the same amount of money that a good Georgia high school job would make. I think I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> Did he tell you were crazy, or was he saying no, he go was for good. it? He was good, yeah. He said, okay, you, you believe well, in it, let's go. And, and here you are now trying to deal with, with all the changes and no hang on for dear life. Billy, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. A belated thank you to Brooks Carter, award-winning photojournalist at the ABC affiliate in Birmingham, who made the SEC coaches, if they grew their hair long, montage that we showed to Billy Napier. And that's going to make another appearance on the show as well. So... Bravo, Brooks. If you have not seen the tweet, it's at Brooks A. Carter on Twitter. He's done it with quite a few coaches. You will get a good laugh out of it. Uh, we have to move on, Jesse, unfortunately, to something that is not a laughing matter. This Northwestern situation, it's, it is going in directions, I guess, that were fairly predictable when we saw Pat Fitzgerald fired and, and some of the reports come out, but... Now two groups of attorneys have brought forth clients. Uh, there's, a, there's a firm that has filed a suit against Northwestern, against Pat Fitzgerald, against Derek Gregg, their AD, against former AD Jim Phillips, who happens to be the commissioner of the ACC right now. Yeah. Uh, those are, that's an anonymous plaintiff on that one. And then Ben Crump and Stephen Levine, uh, another group of attorneys in Chicago, they brought out four former Northwestern players who went on the record to talk about their experiences with hazing at Northwestern, they have threatened a lawsuit, but they have not actually filed a lawsuit. Not yet. Yeah, it seems like that they may be joining, but it's TBD there. You know, when you and I spoke last week for a video yeah. uh, at On3, we talked about the fact that this was just one domino. The right. Pat Fitzgerald firing was, was simply the first shoe to drop, that there would be litigation probably from both sides, and... 
now I you know this this has hit a, re- a real serious point here. I mean the fact that you have you know a couple anonymous guys filing claims, and then you have several former players, including the starting running back, I think in 2013, um, who who went on the record today and and, and told a group of reporters that. You know, the, the, the sexual violence uh, and hazing was rampant. Uh, um, Lloyd Yates, who was a, a quarterback there who, who did not play very no, he, much. He was 2015 uh, to 17, he, he I talked, think. He went on the record. He, went, he talked to the Chicago Tribune this week and then went on the record again and made some similar claims to what we heard the whistleblower from the more recent teams made to the Northwestern student paper when all that blew up. Which so, is about all the running, the quote-unquote running, and, right. and that was... The it, naked stuff, and, yeah. all that, yeah. And it, it sounded very similar. And their their contention is that this has been going on at Northwestern for quite some time, uh, dating back a while. Now, the, the other layer to this that makes it really interesting in terms of Jim Phillips, I was going to say, I mean, that's... It's not just the football team. They're... they're Multiple sports. There was an issue with the cheerleading team. Baseball. The baseball just had one, and apparently there are a couple more sports that could get ensnared in this thing. So that's where Jim Phillips, who's now commissioner of the ACC, he's named in this lawsuit. This could come back to haunt him as well. Well, And the the way this could really get – I mean, this is already extremely serious and a sensitive subject, but because several of these players are African-American and they have spoken up about how it was even more difficult for players of color, we are potentially... Sounded very similar to the Iowa situation. Yes, I was going to say that we are now broaching closer to a potential civil rights case or lawsuit that could also join this and so it's a what's happening right now, we are in the very, very infant stages but this is an ugly situation that this program is dealing with you know, on the heels of Big Ten Media Day, which you'll be at in a couple days. Yeah, that's, it'll be interesting, and, and I'm sure all the questions will be about that. And unfortunately, their interim coach, who just got there, probably not prepared to, to answer. But notably, those he was on staff, you know, a year ago. I mean, all these guys. No, were on just sta- no, just now. So oh, he's new. <laughs> oh wow, who they bring in? Well, that's. That's the thing that he would—he wasn't on staff last year. He oh. was on staff. He was hired this off season. Oh, the, yeah, oh, Ron, I missed Ron that. was hired this off season. I missed that. Yeah. So wow, I missed that. That—that that is what makes things just really. Oh, that's extremely complicated. Really yeah. tough. That's an added. And I, I will point out that Pat Fitzgerald's attorney Dan Webb has issued a statement as well and said, you know, there are no specifics that these guys are giving uh, beyond what you've kind of already heard. And so he said, until they get more specifics, they're not going to reveal any of their specifics. But they feel like they were they're going to vigorously defend Pat Fitzgerald and his reputation. So, and and it's interesting because when Pat Fitzgerald hired Dan Webb, who is a very powerful attorney, my thought was, okay, this is to get Pat some of that Fitzgerald's buyout money, money, the buyout money. But I'm sure he's doing that as well. But he's also going to wind up having to defend Pat Fitzgerald in these lawsuits. It sounds like, yeah, multiple. And, and again, as as we said, I mean, the, the guys that went on the record both with the Chicago Tribune last night and then with a group of reporters in Chicago today have yet to join the lawsuit. Um, but they're law- they are represented by the same lawyer that is the lawyer for these two cases, so it yeah. could be a pending situation. Yeah. So David Braun, by the way, just just in case. Yeah, because I was that, that hi- this hired is- hired this off season was at North Dakota State beforehand. So gotcha. Yeah, wow. Th- this is this is he's been and so he, so but the rest of the staff it was retained. 
for now. For now. Yeah, it's it, it very similar to the Baylor situation where you're not going to fire an entire staff right before the season and, and do a whole yeah, search. Yeah, that's and, just an impossible situation for that program. So that's what they're dealing with right now. This is not going to end anytime soon. No. And, and the fact that it's now gone to – I didn't mention – also name that lawsuit – Michael Schill, the current president of Northwestern, Morton Shapiro, the former president of Northwestern, who was the president very, of the Big Ten, very powerful in the, Big, the Big Ten, Ten president group before yeah. he before he left Northwestern, and so these are the people who were making these are the, decisions. These are the movers and shakers. Yes, making big decisions, and so you know we'll see. Jim Phillips will have to get up at ACC media days with this hanging over his head. I'm I, I'm sure he was already bracing for questions about the schools that have kind of expressed their interest in, in getting more money from the ACC, but this is far different than that. This is a lot worse to deal with than that. No, no, and yeah, not the only media day storyline to drop that we got today either. No, no. Uh, we found out that Deion Sanders will not be going to Col- to Pac-12 media day for Colorado. He's going to have surgery. We, we had seen the stories that, that he needed to, to have some blood clots removed and, and that he was having trouble with circulation to his foot, and so... And apparently, he's actually having surgery tomorrow, but it's the recuperation deal right. Friday. You're not going to fly right. to Pac-12 Media Days yeah. and do that. And but that's a... I mean, this is another... You know, you talk about you know taking it on the chin for the Pac-12 this week. No media rights deal before you're... You know, right. Uh, and they, made a good, they, they did a good job of managing expectations they did, on that they, because they, must, they, 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 they got it out there that, hey, we're not announcing anything. Right. They massaged that, but now you don't have prime time, you know, yeah. the guy that everyone wanted to hear from and talk to. That's I was, it's disappointing. I was standing in the interview out in that hallway in Las Vegas with George Klyavkov when he talked about how valuable Dion was going to be to the Pac-12 in terms of their TV deal. And here's, here's the chance where, I mean, because all eyes would have been on Dion. Right. Now, granted, Caleb Williams is returning Heisman Trophy winner. You got Lincoln Riley there. But he was Bo saying. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. But, but Kavkoff was saying that from a negotiation oh, yes. <laughs> standpoint. Yep. Now, look, they're still going to have Colorado's games. Right. As far as we know. Till, till, For now. Yeah. Until they announce a deal. For now. Uh, but, so it is, part of the, it is part of the negotiations. But, yeah, we're not going to hear from Dion. That was the thing I was looking forward to the most about Pac-12 Media Day on Friday, but it doesn't, doesn't look like we're going to get him. So who, who becomes the star of Pac-12 Media Day now? Caleb Williams? Caleb Williams? I, I, mean, I mean, well, he certainly would be the, the biggest standout for yeah. sure. Uh, in terms of character? say anything wild. Yeah, in terms of character... I don't know. Does does Jed Fish say anything funny? I don't know. Jed I mean, Fish is a delightful guy to talk he, to, he but a, I, I like, don't know if he's going to do that in the media. I don't, media I don't know if he's going to move the needle. Have you ever seen Kenny Dillingham do the worm? I have not. So Kenny Dillingham, the new head coach at Arizona State, is excellent at doing the worm. If he breaks that out, it's going viral, especially now that Dion's not going to be there. I've seen Dan Lanning puff a cigar and then have that same kid flip to another school a day mm, later. I don't think they're going to try that <laughs> at media that. days. I think the, the conference might frown on that. So it, it's, it would have been fun to hear from, from Dion, but we will probably get a YouTube video about his, uh, his recuper- recuperation from surgery. I'm and, sure. And this gets him back in time for practice, so you got to get done what you got to get done. It is what it is. Another piece of news. We talked on Monday about the Georgia situation, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Georgia had asked the AJC to retract a story 
that they did the nine page report right, for them. Right. They, they, the, the story had claimed that there were 11 instances where Georgia players were investigated for sexual violence and then remained on the roster. The story only mentioned two players. One of whom had been actually kicked off One the team. One of whom was kicked off the team and never played again after all that happened. And then one player where they very selectively chose details from the police report that painted one picture. And if you actually read the police report, it presents a little bit differently. But nowhere in that story, and I, this is one thing I found weird, and we talked about this on Monday, did they have a list of the other cases? And apparently... Nary, nary, nary one. The AJC went to the... Went to the reporter, went back through the reporting, and said, let's make the list of the cases. They could not make a list of 11. Which we said at the time was malfeasance. Which, it's interesting, and the AJC did not publish this part of it. How many were there? Were there any beyond the two? That, that's the part that makes it very... How did that ever get past any editors? And, and so they have fired the reporter, Alan Judd. Because of this, I don't know if they've made any other personnel changes, but and issued a, a correction right. and retraction in the in the paper within today, the story, within yes. the story today. But here, here's my thing: you and I have both been in this business a long time. We've both have have had good and bad editors. Even the bad editors I've had, if I said something, especially if I'd written something about such a sensitive topic like sexual violence, and I said there were eleven cases. Even the worst editor I ever had would have said, 11 minus 2 is 9 or I'm missing. I'm going to need to see the other 9 before we can have this number 11 in the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's again, we thought it, it's malfeasance that, that that piece ran as such, and clearly so, because I think you and I both thought, thought this was going to be quiet down for a little while just in terms of the AJC really diving deep because Alan Judd had been there so long. Yeah. Did that you they have to gonna, go back through everything? Have to go back but I guess they everything. felt like we went back through this. That was fireable enough. Yeah. And I, it just, here's my issue with this. And normally we don't go this deep into other people's reporting. We don't talk about other people's stories or their process and all that. It pisses me off when stuff like this happens because the public already doesn't trust us. They think we have an agenda. They think we have it out for people. And when you do things like cherry-pick details from a police report to make it fit what you were trying to say and put a number 11 when you can't prove that there's 11, it makes us all look terrible. It makes it look like we're trying to do this stuff. And I can tell you from having covered stories involving sexual violence, you try to be so careful for the accuser and for the accused I mean, in those stories, fairness is yes. the is the you know the number one priority. Yes, there. accuracy. Yes. and fairness. Yes, and it's and they're so hard. And we get that this is inside baseball yeah. stuff, but this is what makes this such an, an right. interesting. It's so topic. frustrating to me that this was allowed to happen at a place. I, I'll tell you. So I interned at the AJC in, in 1999. I grew as, up reading As it. a kid, it was my dream to work there. I always wanted to work for the AJC. That was, that was the dream paper for me. And for this to happen, it's just mind-blowing. Because I remember back in 1999, armies of editors read every story. 
Like I can't imagine something like that would have been it, able to get does, through. That, that, that's, so. that's such a great <laughs> Yeah. That right there is an excellent point on on the our industry writ large right now right. too, where there's just we've cut down on the on the behind the scenes manpower, yes. and that's how something like this right. can skate through, and and it also makes what Georgia did in terms of coming out so forcefully with right. their nine page report saying literally fighting against the biggest newspaper in the state, being like you got this wrong, and they were right. Yeah. They were proven correct. I, I have no problem with them pushing back because they... But you don't see that a lot either. And that's no, what's, that's but a lot what's of times uh, you'll see somebody push back and say, this is wrong. And, and I've, I've had people say that about stuff I've written. I oh, say, yeah, but then I, they don't come with say, any evidence. I will say specifically what is wrong. You point it out. If it's, if it's wrong, I'll issue a correction. And then they can't. Because it's not wrong, it just made them mad. Right, it, yeah. This, this, this is, wasn't an opinion. This is different. Right. This is a, this is a fact that you chose not to, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it because I, I can't understand how it would happen. It's disappointing. It, it is, but I, that situation, that really wasn't the resolution I expected this quickly. But, not this quickly. But they, they, they've gotten to it, and I, I guess everybody sort of moves on from here, and, and, and we will see what happens. But on to happier things. I was going to say, yeah. at least you have a good... Uh, teaser to come up with your, with your combo yeah. with Sam Pittman. Yeah, on to happier things. We're, we talked to Sam Pittman and KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. Mr. Yes, sir. <laughs> Those two are delightful. And Sam Pittman, remember I, I mentioned those photos of uh, the SEC coaches if they'd grown their hair out. And uh, well, Sam Pittman's might be better than Billy Napier's. We'll just leave it at that. We'll be right back. Here with Arkansas coach Sam Pittman. Coach, pleasure having you here. I, I have just been needing to ask you since I saw this picture last week. I, I want to ask you, what do you think that guy does? Oh, he's a baller. I, I don't know exactly what he does. But I mean, he's doing it well, man. He looks like he manages country bands. I, th I think Ooh. that's what he does. He's really good at it. That. I like that. That looks like a cross between maybe Meatloaf and Rob Ryan. That's, ooh, I like that. Listen, Meatloaf lived a great life. That was a, that was a life well lived. And we know Rob Ryan yeah. does. We, 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 we'll, we'll ignore long-haired yeah, Zach Arnett and long-haired yeah, Brent Venables. I, but, I ain't got no but, but, comment on no, that. But that. Except for Napier, I saw that. Well, he looks like Jesus. Little a bit, little bit. Little bit. I was either, either Jesus or... Somebody in a band from the 70s, like yeah. a little lost Almond brother. Yeah, that's a good point. So, <laughs> Sam, uh, what's his name in Roadhouse? Oh, yeah. He, maybe Absolutely. A bit there. Well, we're having Billy Napier later, so I'm going to have to ask him I the ask same him. question. Uh, he I, I don't think he's going to pull a John Lennon and say he's, he's uh, looking like Jesus or bigger <laughs> than Jesus, but you know. So, what, what, what has this been like, this, this trip around SEC Media Days? You got, you got new coordinators, same quarterback. So, so old and new. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest concern I had, and I had it ever since I got the job, mm -hmm. don't lose your coordinators. Don't yep. lose your coordinator. Don't lose your coordinator. Well, I mean, you know, if they do right, you know, Barry went, got a head coach job at UNLV, and Kendall decided to go back home to his home state and all yep. those things. And what I found out is there's a lot of people want the job at Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And uh, so very grateful for those guys. But, uh, you know, Dan – he wanted to come. He wanted to come back. Yeah. And 
uh, Travis Williams, and I love guys who really, really want to be at Arkansas. Mm. Both of them did. Both of them going to do a great job for us. Well, Dan Enos, it's, it's interesting because you all worked together at Arkansas. You were the O-line coach. He was the O.C., that was Brandon Allen, yeah. very explosive yeah. offense. And then he goes, he coaches Tua, he coaches Talia Tongvailoa. Yeah. Different quarterback in, in KJ. So what what about him you know, fits this offense? Well, I think, I think the first question that Dan asked me when I talked to him about the job was, what do you want? I yeah. know what you got. What, yeah. do, what, do, you, what do you want? Mm-hmm. How, or do you want him running the ball? And I said, no, 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 no. I want him healthy. Yep. And I want him throwing the football. Now, he's going to run the ball because that's he's going to decide he's good that at it, yeah. when he wants to. Yeah. But um, so I said, no, 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 no. And so I was really interested in how he could develop KJ. And uh, I just think that between what he did at Alabama, what he did with Brandon Allen, mm-hmm. like you say, I think I think we hit, hit the jackpot. And then T-Will, big energy, great recruiter. T-Will's – Bad to the bone, man. I love him. Um, him and that group of guys that, you know, we hired over there. But um, T. Will cares about the players, loves the players, hard on players, makes them uh, accountable for, mm-hmm. you know, good or bad. Yeah. If it's good, they're accountable. He holds them accountable, you know, uh, lets them know it. Bad, he holds them accountable. And uh, he's the same guy every day, a lot of enthusiasm, great recruiter, great coach. So – you were talking to our guy Jesse Simonson earlier this year about last year you felt like you didn't hit enough early in practice, didn't didn't continue hitting enough. This is something that I, I feel like is coming up more and more with coaches where it's a, it's a philosophical divide where you have coaches, Kirby, Nick, who say hit, hit all season, Mario Cristobal, hit all season, be conditioned to it, and other people say, well, you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. How, how do you fall on that now after trying it that way? Well, I went from 9-4 and four to 7-6. and six. And so we this year, last year we had no scrimmages in the spring. We had two and a half mm-hmm. this year. We had two and a a series. Right. Uh, we're going to scrimmage in the fall, and you know, I, mine is not as much about um, tackling this, not mm-hmm. scrimmaging all this, because you can have the physical play. Right. Mine is. You don't really know what you have until you get to the game if you don't tackle. Right. Your second-team guys are awful hard to beat out a first-team guy if you can't tackle or get tackled. Right. I just didn't think it was fair to the team, so I went back to uh, tackle tackle football. Is that – I mean, you, you mentioned the record. You had some very close games. Yeah. It was a pretty thin margin between that nine and four and that seven and six. Right. Do Do you feel like that can that can get you on the, the right side of that again? I do. You yeah. know because it's all about toughness, physicality, loyal, all those, and you have to make things hard uh, to see really what you have. Yeah. And practice is a great time to do that. So what, what you got? What two days of vacation left? When do you have yeah. to go back to work? Uh, Monday. So I saw the pictures from Hot Springs. Yeah. Now you have you been hired by the state of Arkansas Tourism Board yet? <laughs> no, but I tell you, if I had a dollar for everybody to stop by there, I may, I may retire. The pig statue still doing okay on at, at your place? Oh, it's doing okay. great, man. It's uh, got slobbering. Okay. Uh, the water's coming out of the big one's mouth, and they're they're calling the hogs all the time over there. So the more it slobbers, the better it is, right? Amen. All right, Sam Pittman, thank you Good so much. Good to see you, buddy. Appreciate thank you it. much. 
here with Arkansas quarterback KJ Jefferson, and KJ, this is a this is a year of high expectations for you. You got a new offensive coordinator, knew a lot of stuff, but what's it feel like being a third year starter in the SEC? It feels good. Uh, it feels amazing actually to be a third year starter in the SEC, just knowing this the. Uh, uh, Elite conference, best of the best. Uh, so just being able to be a, a third-year start is, is truly amazing. How did your decision-making process go at the end of last season to, de to decide to be here and not be in an NFL camp right now? Uh, it was really easy for me uh, just knowing that I, I wanted to come back because I didn't play in a couple games due to injury. Yeah. And also just last year, draft was a quarterback-heavy draft, so being able to come back and give myself a chance. You mentioned the, the getting banged up and, and miss. How tough was that, like the Mississippi State game that you couldn't play in? What, what, what was that like watching? It was it was it was hard. It was heartbreaking. Uh, just be going back to Mississippi, going back home, yeah. and not being able to play in front of my family. But also, it was it was also a life learning moment for me, just being able to help my guys out on the sideline and help the quarterback that was coming in. Now, how, how'd your mom handle that? Because we, I, you, you were on my show last year, and you were mm -hmm. telling me about your mom during mm -hmm. games. Which in high school, you could hear her everywhere, but she does this in college too, where she you can hear her mm -hmm. calling plays, all that. How how did she handle when when you were dinged up? Uh, she handled it pretty well. I mean, yeah. she stayed in my ear about just, you know what I'm saying, it's football, it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Just being able to just make sure you're doing every, each and everything you can do to get back, make sure you get in the training room. Yeah. What is that like when you're in an SEC stadium and you can hear your mom? It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty surreal that yeah. you can, I, I can actually hear her and know, like, hear her or she'll walk down to the sideline and say something to me. So it's pretty surreal, but it's also, I feel like it's a gift. Because I, I – I've seen a ton of parents do that in high school. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anybody do that in, a, in an 80,000-seat stadium. So that is impressive. Yeah. And that has got to be an impressive voice. Yeah. I mean, is that – as you were growing up, did you have to be careful to not have that voice be mad at you? A little bit. I mean, that's still to this day right now. I mean, <laughs> she still get mad at me for certain things. But, I mean, it's all, I mean, she's my biggest critic. So, I mean, she always knows what's best for me. And she wants me to reach my full potential. So – now you're working with Coach Enos. He, he comes in. Coach Bryles is at, at, at TCU. How different is this going to look? It's going to look way different. I mean, we're not as fast as we used to be in the past. Uh, Pro-style offense with yeah. some spread concepts in it. So the game is going to be a whole lot slower now moving forward. Well, Coach Pittman was saying that when he talked to, to Coach Enos about what he wanted out of the offense, he said, I want K.J. upright throwing the ball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you decide – Okay, I need to run now, or I need to stand in here and throw this thing. Oh, uh, it's kind of it's. I feel like it's based off instincts. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of an instinct thing, but it's also a mental thing as well. Just knowing, like, hey, I need to stand in here in this pocket as long as I can and deliver a great ball, or hey, I need to get out of this pocket and create an explosive play with my legs. You've been in this program for a long time now. How well do you know your your teammates, and and how much does that help when you're? When you're in practice, when you're in the weight room, when you're on the field, uh, it means a lot. I mean, I know I know just about each and everybody's why, like why they what, yeah. what motivate them. So I kind of know a lot. And each and every day, we try to do some type of bonding experiment or, or exercise yeah. for us amongst each other to get to know everybody. So just being able to, when times get hard, we can always count on each other. When did you start trying to figure out everybody's why? When when did you say I need to know what makes this guy tick and what makes this guy tick? Um, I would say just just evaluating like NFL quarterbacks and how they're so persistent, how they yeah. can be able to just diagnose everything. So yeah. just, just motivating me to be like, hey, 
maybe it's the smaller details I need to pay attention to. Have you been watching that quarterback show on Netflix with I have, Mahomes? I have. It is so amazing to see it because Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota, very different quarterbacks, well, different yeah. people, but it's amazing to see how they operate. Yeah, it is. It is. My uh, Actually, um, one of the trainers at our, uh, on the staff actually told me about the show. I didn't know nothing about it, so <laughs> I went back and watched it and then to actually like see those three different type of quarterbacks go through what they go through in the NFL. So it's pretty it's it's fun to watch but it's also like Oh, who's who's the most fun to watch? Uh Mahomes for sure. It's Mahomes. gotta be, right? Yeah, Mahomes for sure. I when they they had the part where he's showing how he comes up with the different arm angles and practices uh -huh. all those different arm angles, that's that is absolutely wild. Yeah it is. Although I will say like Cousins was interesting to me because he's the one he's saying, okay, we're gonna stay afterward and we're gonna go over all these calls, yeah. and he's just grabbing individual guys to say, "Hey, just come over, and we'll go over." Yeah. Like, how, as a as a leader in the offense, how often do you have to do that? Where you may have to pull a guy aside and say, "All right, I see you're you're struggling with this. Let's work on this." Yeah, um, I feel like at the quarterback position, I want to say you had to do it every day, but like more times than not, you had to do it because. They're, they're expecting you to lead them in the right direction. Yeah. So just being able to help those guys out and know that, hey, timing is everything when it comes down to quarterback and receiver. How differently do the, the other players react to you now than, than when you were the first-time starter? Uh, very different, very different. Just because I'm a veteran now, uh, I played a lot of games, started a lot of games. So now they, they look to me for that, their vocal leadership, their experience aspect of things. All right, I'm going to ask you – I asked Coach this question, too. I'm going to ask you. What does that guy do for a living? Oh, hold on. I lost you. There he is. What does that guy do for a living? Flip cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 said, he said he thought he was managing bands, but, you know. <laughs> I, I, flip cheeseburger. I, I bet flip he makes a damn fine cheeseburger, yeah, you too. You probably do. <laughs> KJ, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you. it. Thank you. It is time for our extra point, and instead of me just talking to you today, I brought Jesse on. We, we had an old segment on my old podcast called The Random Ranking, and I feel like today is a day for that because, Jesse, we learned something today. Nick Saban likes cake. And specifically, he has a favorite, and it was an easy choice according to him. Carrot cake is his favorite cake. I realize that is a controversial choice. I tweeted that out, and man, the replies, there was debate. But that's your favorite cake, too. Fervent debate. Well, let's find out, okay. because we're going to do a random ranking. Let's do it. Of cakes. Top five. But before we reveal our top fives, we got a special. We have a special guest who sent in. His own top three. A future SEC athletic director. Right, a Big 12 current athletic director, Joe Castiglione, the athletic director at Oklahoma. His number three is Junior's Cheesecake in New York. Now, oh, he got specific. Well, that's very specific. Now, I, I will push back somewhat. I think cheesecake is a different category, but maybe not. Okay, we'll find I'm out. I'm thinking kind of spongy, you know, that sort of cake. Uh, Three-layer red velvet cake is his number two. Italian cream cake, also known as wedding cake. Number one, Joe Castiglione. If you are named Castiglione, I think you have to answer that. Bold choice, though. Bold choice. It is a, that, for number one. For number one, that's a bold yeah. choice. All right, so we're going to do our own top fives. We will go five through one. Jesse, you're number five. Well, you know, since Castiglione just went international, I'm going to yep. do the same. Okay. 
I'm going to go German chocolate icebox cake. Mm. If you've ever had that, it is mouth-watering. Do they have coconuts in Germany? Well, the irony is I don't think it actually is from Germany. That's I, think, the part, I have no idea like, where the name comes from. What makes from. a German chocolate cake is coconut. I don't, yeah. I don't understand I, I don't that. really know where the name comes from, but if you've ever had that icing and yep. that cream, it is a specific flavor that... I, and I have not had this cake in a long time, but it is it is by far the tastiest of tasty cakes. For my number five, I'm going to throw out the cake that I have probably eaten more of than any other cake in the world, and that is the Publix Yellow Sheet Cake. Oh, I thought you were going Funfetti. Okay. Every birthday party I have ever attended since about age 11 okay. had a Publix Sheet Cake. If you grew up in Florida, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you now, if you're if you're a little bit younger and you grew up pretty much anywhere in the South, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I will say though, Sam's Club's Bakery is making a push to push the public sheet cake off this spot in the rankings. If you haven't had a Sam's Club sheet cake lately not. at a party, okay, it, it, it's pretty good. All I right. don't have children, so you go to a lot of birthday parties. a lot of birthday parties. That's right. All right. All right. My number, number four. My number four. I, I wonder if you're going to push back on this because of what you just said. I had cheesecake. See, I think cheesecake is a totally different kind of cake. I understand where you're coming from, but it's a totally different flavor profile. It's much more savory than, than most cakes are just purely sweet. Although, I will say, as you get to the top of my rankings, there are some savory elements as well. Okay. So, maybe, maybe, I don't Now that I think about it, cheesecake does have a big part of one of the elements of my number one. Well, it's got the word so, cake in it. Well, that too. <laughs> yes, I know. Okay, well, I'll take it. Okay. I'll, I'll accept okay. it. All right, number four for me, cinnamon crumb cake. Okay. This is an excellent, this like goes, like it goes with your coffee. You can eat it for breakfast. You can eat it for dessert. It's just kind of like, kind of like the, the, uh, the stepbrother version of, yeah. uh, um, coffee cake. Yes. It's a yes. good, good all purpose cake. And, and so that's, that's my number four. What's your number three? My number three, I, you know what? You haven't taken it yet. So I'm going to go lemon poppy seed cake. It's kind of... It, Not it's, a draft, but no danger of me taking it. It's, it's okay. It's, it is... You know what? I, it's, I think it's a little bit... Some people like hummingbird cake. Mm -hmm. I, like lemon, I like the lemon poppy seed. So I love lemon bars. Okay. I'm not a huge lemon cake fan. It's weird. I do... Like, it's not like I don't want lemons in my sweets, but it's just... All right. Not with, not with my cake. Not, not your go-to. Yeah. I, like, I love a lemon bar, but not the same thing. My number three... Devil's food cake, chocolate on chocolate on chocolate on chocolate, okay. all chocolate, everything. Classic, classic. My number two mm -hmm. is actually a, kind of one of yours, one of yours, but it's a similar one. Shout out to my mom, coffee cake. Right. She has rich cream cheese in it, mm -hmm. sour cream. It is divine. It oh, is unbelievable. It's something that we have on like Christmas morning a Ooh. lot of times. It's like a little, you know, post breakfast. It's if your just, mom comes to visit. Let me know okay. if she's okay. making this. I, I need to know because that sounds amazing. Okay. All right. My number two, red velvet cake. Now, not you, a red velvet cake. You can have but you, you're the buttercream I, frosting or cream cheese frosting. Okay. I would prefer you do it with cream cheese frosting, though. I'll take either one. Okay. All right. My number one is rum cake. Oh, good choice. I, uh, uh, rum cake is my favorite. You got the... the the bourbon or the rum in mm -hmm. either one. Some people like bourbon. Some people yep. like rum. It's kind of a, you know, pick your f flavor there. But you have that in the spongy cake. Mm -hmm. And then on top, you got the little drizzle 
icing with the pecans mm. or the walnuts. Number one for me. My number one often has pecans, often has a bourbon element. Me and Nick Saban, me and the goat. You go, you go cake. cake. It's un- th- think about a night. You, you go to a nice steakhouse. You have the big steak for dinner. And then they bring out that seven-layer carrot cake with that cream cheese frosting on it. Good Lord. There's no better way to finish a meal. And if you don't believe me. The thicker the better, right? Believe the best college football coach in the history of the sport. He likes it too. Jesse, it's been a fun day at SEC Media Days. Yes. We have one more, though. So we'll be back. Thanks for watching. Remember, like, subscribe. Tell all your friends. Download. Download. You get it as a podcast. If you watch it on video, you could do both. Switch one one day watch, one day listen. However you want the show, we're prepared to give it to you. Thank you so much. And we're going to wrap things up from SEC Media Days in Nashville tomorrow.